about to enter a world of pain, suffering, and laughter. If you can name what that line is from, it's a movie, you will know who the guest is on this week's Worst Gig Ever. Hey, everybody, I am Mike Pace. <laughs> I'm Jeff Garlock. Give up? I think I know. Who is it? Taylor Negron from Nothing But Trouble. It is, in fact, Taylor Negron, comedic actor, stand-up, uh, entertainer. The guy is a jack yes. of all trades. Musician? He is a musician. Doing he's it a, all. He's a songwriter. Taylor Negron came over, talked about everything. It's great. He, he gave us some great worst gigs from his stand-up days. He talks about all of these classic movies he was in, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Better Off Dead, Nothing But Trouble, The Last Boy Scout. This guy's filmography is like... It's mind-boggling. Amazing. You'll hear some gushing because yeah. both Mike and I are big Taylor Negron We grew up fans. with we grew Taylor. grew up with this guy. I would watch him in movies and be like, quote, his movie lines. I loved his stand-up and we were quite happy and he lived up to all of our... Uh, Taylor wonderful, was great. Wonderful man. He, wonderful uh, conversation. Couldn't have been nicer. Absolutely. I hope you all love this as much as we do. Yeah, this is a great episode. Uh, Taylor has a website. It's taylornegron.com. He is a very personable guy guy we're very excited about this we're also very excited about all of our previous episodes so excited which you can listen to at worstgigeverpodcast.tumblr.com we're on itunes stitcher radio you can find us on facebook you can write us worstgigever at gmail.com tweet at us at ggarlock at mikey pace at worst gig ever you can watch our web series at youtube.com backslash official comedy and you know what else what else? You can listen to all of these episodes with your new Tweaked Audio headphones. Go to tweakedaudio.com, enter the promo code WORST, and you will get one-third off of your purchase of a beautiful pair of headphones. We have listeners buying these headphones, and they love it. Buy some more. Like We love them. We hope you love them. They sound great. They yeah. bring out the tones, baby. So listen, to lead us into this episode with Taylor Negron, why don't you give us your favorite line from Better Off Dead? Hey, Badger. What's a little boy like you doing with big boy smut like this? It's Taylor Negron on Worst Gig 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 The worst gig ever was when I went to Fairbanks, Alaska to perform for two weeks. For which, which I thought was a lot of money. <laughs> now, when I went there, um, I should have known that when I petted the sled dogs <laughs> and was pinned up against the wall by a very seriously macho man, and he said, don't you ever touch a dog around here. <laughs> I realized that it was going to be bad. <laughs> I went into my room, which was... Um, Basically, a cinder block box <laughs> with a television that played 
only two shows, a Christian <laughs> TV show and a Christian puppet show. <laughs> Solid options. <laughs> I walked down and I thought I was going to have like what I used to call luncheon <laughs> in the dining room. And um, the uh, bartender uh, pushed me up um, with her breasts and said, um, ooh, look, fresh meat. <laughs> <laughs> so I immediately uh, fabricated a story that my beloved grandfather was dead. <laughs> Mr. Tony, as we called him, he would have taken, he took the bullet from me many times. <laughs> what a grand, what, what is a 90 year old man in your life for? Exactly. <laughs> like if a not human, to take a bullet from Mr. Yeah. Tony. <laughs> Mr. Tony. Mr. Tony, who's from this neighborhood in Brooklyn. <laughs> and I, uh, said, uh, um, uh, you know, I went down there like, uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman and said, um, he's dead. <laughs> they were like, who? And, I, and, and, I, and, and then I did that kind of halting, to bring them into it, like make believe there's someone dead in my room, and it was no, my grandfather's dead. I have to leave immediately. But you haven't done a show. I know I feel terrible about it, and I owe you. <laughs> and as I got on the plane, Mount St. Helens went off, <laughs> and we were flying through a black, corrosive, toxic, volcanic puma air. <laughs> And we landed in, in L.A. Now, if I did not land in L.A. and I did not lie, I would have been stuck there for three weeks. Wow. And I would have probably had to be taken out on those sled dogs. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> this, and it, this is not called the wild. Don't think Clark Abel here. <laughs> so, so you don't even get to perform. You, you just you bow out. You assess I, the scene. I bowed out. You know what? Because I knew that A, I was going to be murdered. Right. It's a good reason to bow out. I mean, at that point, I mean, this is a time when Fairbanks, when Sarah Palin was probably still playing basketball. <laughs> right. And uh, I, I was going through an intense Boy George period. <laughs> a culture clash. It was a culture will. clash. <laughs> you know, why can't I have an affair with my drummer? <laughs> In those pansexual days of... Madonna, when I would wear, I mean, I really thought, I mean, we all did. I mean, there's photographs of everybody, but I think at one point I was wearing a tuxedo top, workout pants, and 200 crucifixes. I mean, I, I was classic Fairbanks. But you were not star. into the yeah, Christian Fairbanks puppet show. Yeah, right. It was never going to happen yeah. Yeah. unless I found myself in a puppet show. Right. I got raped by a sock puppet. <laughs> or was I the sock puppet? <laughs> either, either way, it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's so it's strange that you bring that up. I was in Alaska this summer for the first time ever, uh, a family vacation. Let's go to Alaska. Oh wow! And Fairbanks was part of the of the trip. I don't remember the concrete cinder blocks in our in our <laughs> in our room. Um, but I think Alaska. You go to Alaska for the the wilderness, the nature, as opposed to the urban. I don't even know if there's an yeah, urban I don't like center. Nature. I really yeah. don't. I uh -huh. really truly don't. I don't even like floral wallpaper. <laughs> Are the plants in the studio? The, the plants are making me very nervous because I know that there's a bed bug hiding in there. <laughs> I, I don't like it. I don't like nature. I, walking walking through Brooklyn and going under the, the this BQE? what is it called here? The BQE. The BQE. The BQE. Yeah. Which in the text looked like it was like go under a barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a big party. I go, maybe I'll get free ribs. Do I get anything out of anything ever? Um, But no, then I I saw that and I go, oh, look, it's like L.A. How great. How how cozy. They must be so happy to have a 19-lane superhighway over their bed. Oh, yeah. The the soot in the summer is beautiful. Keep the windows shut. I like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't ever want to have a bear eat my dog. Sure. And I don't want to have a coyote take off my face and steal my act. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which were all options in yeah. Fairbanks, Alaska. Oh, absolutely. That coyote was going down there singing those birds. <laughs> but backing up for a second, was it the kind of thing where you were you were offered the show and maybe it seemed like you were supposed to be there for two weeks? Yeah, I mean, there was a time when you actually got offered shows uh, comics i was a uh, you know i started out at the very bottom mm-hmm. which was eight o'clock at the comedy store being an mc and and i really truly did the apprenticeship from opening to middle act and then to headliner mm-hmm. but this was a middling i think i was headlining then yeah so yeah. i realized whenever they asked me to do something like that important which i think is important to headlining um i had to say yes i mean i really did right yeah so I would, I, I did it all. I did, I did every one of those stupid things. I, I once performed at a toys, toy seminar. <laughs> toy seminar. <laughs> That's a Run captive by, audience. Uh, ancient Altacaca Jews <laughs> who, uh, were, um, were in wheelchairs and they were in the back of the room and I, and, and I got down on my hands and knees and said, could you please roll closer? <laughs> And they wouldn't. <laughs> we're fine where we yeah, are. Yeah, uh, you know, just roll them closer, please. Yeah. And they said, Taylor, just do it. <laughs> that, that, and you did it because you're I, the consummate course, professional. I, I did it. I did it. I did it. I'm very proud of doing it. I wish that they were, for the young people of today, I wish there were more venues so they could really mm-hmm. know what it's like and become immediately seasoned. Wish there were more seminars. Yeah, more, 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 more seminars, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that seems like that also kind of qualifies in in the worst gig pantheon uh, in terms of criteria. Toy seminar, old Jews in wheelchairs. Oh yeah, I mean, but I performed once. I performed in St. Louis, or I like to say, I'm always trying to make myself seem more uh, elegant. St. Louis, <laughs> <laughs> and I was in St. Louis, and um, I was performing, and they got all upset because. It was sold out. God forbid. If you really want to upset a club owner or waitresses, it's sold out, Taylor, okay? It's it's sold out. I'm like, well, I didn't do it. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know. Should I leave? So she's running around, and then the club owner comes in and says, the fire marshal's here. And I have to tell you this. I've never told any of these acts. You, You have an entire front row filled with midgets. (laughs) <laughs> and the fire marshal's freaked out about them he needs to he, he wants to know have you put out a word <laughs> a word <laughs> like ding dong the witch is dead <laughs> i mean i i don't know how to respond to that right. you know my core group is under two seven <laughs> the but, taylor fan club yeah, is I, mean, a requirement. I don't know if they're fan <laughs> right. I, I think they they find they find me quite humorous right. and 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 and, I, and then i was intensely aware of these little people in the front row and that i shouldn't you know it's interesting each each performance is so strange it changes you mm-hmm. like once i did a, a benefit at the comedy store in the 80s and i didn't know what it was for because you say every, say yes to everything. Yeah. 
And I went in there and it was crammed with women, all women. <laughs> all looked like they had come from their Arabics class. <laughs> Is that how you say it? Arabics? Yes. In the 80s, Arabics. Arabic. <laughs> and they'd come from their Arabics class. And um, I said to the lady, I said, what is this um, for again? <laughs> what am I doing? And she said, this is for the league against the assaults of battered women. <laughs> These are women who have been hit multiple Oof. times. Yeah, and that's and, a tough one to go in not knowing. I mean, I just had to say, well, could I have some seltzer water and just <laughs> think about this? Yeah. And I remember, th and 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 uh, Taylor, you're on first before we bring on the lesbian act. <laughs> and I walked on stage, and and it would define my entire theater performance mode which was i didn't want to do any quick moves when i when i walked out there mm -hmm. like they it was like how you doing <laughs> right. i didn't want to do that so they you know they'd have like a stroke or something <laughs> i didn't want to alarm them sure because they've been they've been repeatedly assaulted got a lot of trouble know your audience <laughs> you know the key <laughs> know the genre <laughs> this is not neo soul <laughs> this is warm christian funk right and I walked on stage, and I swear to you, I still do this. I walk on stage, and I go, hello. <laughs> How are you? You all look so pretty. Did you do that for the little people, too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the little people are all like, you just said, blow it out of your bunghole. <laughs> the little people. I, I had a I roomed with, I had, my roommate was a little person. Really? Mm -hmm. Wet. This is probably when your uh, mother was in uh, junior college. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's how old I am. Yes. I already know how old you are. And how old so it was 1965. No. Yeah, right. No, this is like in, this, in, the, in 1979. The year? No, no 77, uh, I think. The year, be the year before we were, we were born. both born. Look at that. Yeah. Well, before you, you missed me living with Quirky Hubbard. <laughs> Corky was a good roommate. Corky was a great roommate because I learned a lot about the human condition. He mm -hmm. was about three nine. Mm -hmm. um, he did. Uh, I found him living in a theater. He had all his possessions. He was sleeping in a in a uh, little closet. He all his possessions were um, a box of porno and a bottle of Vicks. <laughs> and I brought really all you need. That's all you need <laughs> in the little closet. That's yeah. it. In a little yeah. closet. Where he also had fully formed girlfriends, if you get my drift. Oh. And he did this incredible Bob Dylan impersonation, smoked a lot of pot, took a lot of quaaludes. I liked him. Sure. He gave me a sense of hope. Yeah. Um, one of the problems with living with a little person is that um, everything becomes a step for them. Right. So, you know, you find footprints on the toaster. <laughs> A literal step. Yeah, yeah. A literal step. Literal. I mean, every drawer is opened up, and you know your kitchen looks like the set of the Brady Bunch. <laughs> was he? Was Corky an entertainer? Yes, okay. of course he was. He was a great star. He was in a movie. He played Lynn Vanessa Redgrave's boyfriend in a movie. I what? think he was in that movie with Rick Overton, Willow. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah, Corky Hubbard was brilliant, and he was a friend of Gus Van Zant. Oh, really? So Gus Van Zant. Um, I saw him at a Academy Awards party at Carrie Fisher's house, and he, um, Harvey Weinstein introduced me to Gus. And I said, "Gus, good luck on you. Know, you good luck on your picture. You got to <laughs> say picture, that. Yeah. I, I liked Milk. I love Sean. I hope it goes for the gold. <laughs> How does that sound?" And then Gus Van Zandt goes.
Taylor. <laughs> you don't remember me? And immediately I'm like, do you know where you're going to? Do you like? I, 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 and then I, and then of course I just pull him away and I go, what? What? How could I possibly know you? Please. My reputation. And he, he goes, did you remember Corky? I'm like, of course. He goes, when I came to Los Angeles, I stayed at your house with Corky. And, and that night, when, and Gus and I have talked about this like every time we always laugh, was, it was, was one of the murders of the Hillside Strangler. Oh. And we uh-huh. heard some woman screaming and I woke Corky and Gus Van Zant up and said, we've got to go help. <laughs> and we went running into the hills and Gus says, I can't believe my first night in Hollywood, I was running toward the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get there? You know, we got so frightened that, that, <laughs> we, that we ended up hiding in an old wooden moldy garage on, on Tamarind. <laughs> it seems like a great idea until you start the run towards the screams and then... Yeah, when you hear the screams, when it gets too real, you right. know, it's like Madame Lafarge in, 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 in the, you know, that, that book by Charles Dickens. It was the best of times and the worst uh-huh. of times. And all the people would go and do knitting and have luncheon while the... <laughs> And then Madame du Barret was brought up to the guillotine. Mm-hmm. And you know, the aristocrats were so proud and walked with their arch back. And then Madame du Barret uh, had projectile diarrhea. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, forget it. This is not fun. <laughs> yeah. Who wants it was to eat, a good time. Who wants to eat pate to this? <laughs> it was the worst of times. <laughs> yeah, that was the that worst. That was the worst. <laughs> was that little, well, bring it back to Corky, little Dorrit, right? No, it was out. Uh, was when he lived with. Why don't Corky? we just call Corky Little Dorrit from now on? <laughs> yeah. When you lived together, was this before or after you had made the Gong Show movie? Oh, that was all around the same period. All around yeah. the same period. I think we all, we all, everybody was did, the gong, did the Gong Show. The, well, there's the Gong Show movie. Obviously, yeah. you know you were I in know, it. I know I'm in it. I, I, I can't <laughs> Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> I, I went to the premiere of it. Oh really? No. I recently watched it for the first. It was not, it's for the longest time it was never available on DVD. It was very difficult to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I managed to see it online, and it's truly a uh, it's an experience. Why? Well, I mean, that's it's, it's well, absolutely bizarre. It, it, it was at that time you could make a lot of money doing these uh, AFTRA low budget or not even low budget, but you know, a job, an mm-hmm. AFTRA job. So you got paid to be on the dating game. I think I got 600 bucks, which is a lot of money yeah. back then. And then you got another $600 for the residual. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I lived off the dating game and then the gong show. I just did. I made up that character. Right. To uh, Mayor Winningham did that, too, to um, just for the money. <laughs> I mean, with those rates, you got to. Like, yeah. And the free rice. I run. I want enough rice to clog <laughs> the San Francisco Bay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> How many times did you do dating show, dating game? I was on seventeen times. Wow, it's uh, a good chunk of change. You put that was a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, I was able to like you know invest in the valley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what uh, do you do for a living? I bought the dating game. I bought right the now. valley. Yeah, I'm exactly. Gotcha number one. If you were my alarm clock in the morning, how would you wake me up? Uh, I said with a big dong. <laughs> Shows are Podcast not as good over. <laughs> Get little Durrett out of here. I don't want him to hear this. Um, so you're are you doing stand up and uh, acting concurrently at this time? Yeah. Okay. And was the idea one or the other? Or were you gunning for? 
Well, you know, I mean, I always really felt that um, there was a great artistry in stand-up. And everybody was saying, you can't do stand-up and do TV shows. You can't do movies and do TV shows. You you can't do stand-up and do both. And I thought, you know, I loved Robin Williams. He was a really big person in my life. And Mm -hmm. he kind of brought, drove me to my first show. And I have him to be, you know, he's the one that should be thanked for all of this because he was so encouraging. Um, I think stand-up is is a true art. Nobody controls what you say. Mm-hmm. You can, I did The Tonight Show. I've done all those shows. Those people say whatever they want. Right. Jimmy Fallon has a lot of power. Jay Leno has a lot of power. All comics have power. Right. And I, and I wonder if they know that. Right. They need to be aware. They, they do. And it's guys like you who appreciate it and really care right. because it goes by so quickly and I think a lot of great people don't even know they're great. Right. Well, I know, I remember what, I, uh, watching you do stand up when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I was, I was, I was like, this guy does it different. <laughs> like, it, but in a good way. Like, I was always just like, like, you know, you would watch like a barrage of, uh, you know, whatever show I would see you on. And it would be like, yeah, yeah, you know, I love stand up. Everyone's kind of the same. But there was just always something about the delivery was just, I mean, it, 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 it like as a, as a, a young man, like I was just like, oh, right. You can do this. Oh, I, different than well, everyone so else. Nice to hear. Uh, I mean, it really is because you know I'm so always called a freak and an outsider and a real loony bin, and mm-hmm. and and it's so that nice. Is, but I know that I made sense, and I know that I'm smart, and right. I know now that I'm older, people will say, I knew that there was a different way of hearing, thinking, and saying. Right. Even I would say, like I mean, we were talking before, like you know, your your myriad of roles uh, in movies. Uh, you know, I I there are all these scenes that you would. You know, even if it was a small part, it would stick with me. Like, like in Better Off Dead, like you know, your line delivery like has stuck with me for a very long, like since I was a kid. Like, it's the both the two sections. Like in my mind, it was what always about, uh, the, the badger when you're like, uh, "What's the little boy like you doing with big boy smut like this?" <laughs> like that delivery was great. But then when you ring the doorbell again and you ask. John Cusack's character for if you could date his girlfriend, you oh, shift tone in this completely different way, which like I remember even again as a kid noticing or I was like, what a strange way that he's like playing this so real. Yes. Like in the first the line before was this like, what's a little boy like you do with big boy smut like this? But then you're like, so like heartfelt. You're like, I know you don't know me, but I, you know, and it was just <laughs> it was always so yeah interesting to me because again, it was like. I also felt like it, watching you uh, growing up that it was uh, an element of, especially with those kind of like, you know, if your role is just delivery man in that movie. But that was the part that stuck with me. Like it was you, you made your couple lines and also in other movies where you had much bigger roles. I thought they were fantastic, too. Yeah. Uh, but you made those lot You sold those couple lines with the tailor. Touch. <laughs> Thank you. The TTs. Yeah, the TTs. The TTs. Yes, exactly. You know what? It's all about, though, you know, it, it has to be real. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the movie acting is about uh, thinking it. Yeah. You know, and that's what's so interesting. If you if you can go up there and just be completely real and enter that person's psyche and their illness or their sickness or their simplicity to become that. Right. I, it's like, I think it's like legalized insanity. <laughs> and I think it's really, really artful. Right. Yeah. Because uh, you're tapping into something. Yeah. You're tapping into. Well, you're tapping into the truth. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially now. I mean, I love that the world kind of caught up to the truth. Right. Now it's hard to lie. Right. Which is nice. 
which is really nice. And yeah. the, the world is a lot easier. I mean, look what's happening in Russia. Those lies are not going to work. Right. No. Right. Yeah. Um, if I may gush. Gush. Right. Well, my, gush yeah. my turn to... Uh, Get little Dorette in here, please. <laughs> Pull up a stool. <laughs> what, uh, one of the movies that always resonated with me was Easy Money. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the fact... Where was that shot? Here in in, uh, in New York, in Staten Island. It was shot in Staten Island. Yeah, in Astoria. It looked very similar to where I grew up on Long Island. It yes. felt very similar. And there was something, maybe because, you know, Rodney Dangerfield was roughly like my grandparent, my grandfather's age, mm-hmm. you know. And at the time, you know, the early 80s, there was still this kind of old-fashioned yes. film. Like, Rodney Dangerfield plays a, a photographer in them, and he's using this antique equipment <laughs> to take these baby photos. <laughs> it's like the world's first camera. And it's so, like, it's so antiquated. Right. And it feels old-fashioned and comfortable and... Even the film quality, when you see, when you saw it on TV growing up on, you know, broadcast TV with commercials yeah. and, and, uh, the backyard with a wedding, I always think of that wedding scene in the backyard. Right. Um, but at the same time, there was the, there was the other side. It was old fashioned and almost quaint on one side, but then there was this bawdiness, yeah. you know, where it really kind of earned the R mm-hmm. rating. And it was, and I think that just reminded me of like, you know, my, my grandfather, my dad's side who had, you know, like dirty, you know, uh, glasses in the bar downstairs <laughs> right. or like, you know, weird, dirty limericks. If you turn it upside down. And it's so, and so I think there was something in the familiarity of, of that movie that always kind of, sure. I, I always held a well, fond It's almost like me. a presto log. Oh, that sure. Movie. Yeah. You get this kind yeah. of artificial warmth uh-huh. from it. Right. You know, I think that it was about, um, a sloppiness. That doesn't exist in movies anymore. Sure. Mm-hmm. That nowadays you have to be accountable for every moment of film. And then it was more like, here's your money. Good luck. I hope that Rodney <laughs> isn't too addicted to cocaine. <laughs> and that you're all not having too much sex with each yeah. other. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and that was a really, because that movie took a long time to make. And when you think about it, it's about a 62 year old man. Who has drug problems? <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and that's what Rodney was. He was yeah. a 62 year old man who had drug problems. And, but nobody apologized for it. Yeah. Right. And that, you know, you'd be very hard pressed to find a studio that would actually fund a movie with a person that's 42 years old. Yeah. Sure. Oh, absolutely. It is insane. So when you look, when you, you just don't think, I don't think about, but then you'll, you'll have those moments where like, oh, wow, they had movies starring. Older people, yeah, like yeah. or people of normal age, and even. there like, also wasn't, you know, the independent film movement the way right. it exploded. Maybe you know, ten years in the early nineties. Yeah, still, it was difficult to get a movie made and seen by a lot of people. Well, those movies—that's when the humorlessness became. I mean, not all, all, but there's a, a genuine humorless to popular culture right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. they take it so seriously. Yeah, and and that and and those people didn't. You yeah, know, I did. I was very young. I was I was very I was only twenty one when I did that, and so I took it very very serious. But I played Julio as that real guy, and it was interesting. I was just writing a piece about this for the Lowbrow Reader. Um, you know, people always ask me about what Rodney was like, and I and it's hard for me to talk about because I don't think he liked me. Mm-hmm. So, and I I don't think he'd like me because I think he thought I was that character. Right. That I was this Spanish, Puerto Rican, dangerous guy, which is, f- couldn't be further from the truth because I come right. from, you know, the leafy suburbs of Malibu. <laughs> right. And my parents look like those people that were in the ads for, in the back of Life magazine. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. 
And was that also because maybe he wasn't necessarily an actor as much as like an he old school? He wasn't really an actor. He was an old school guy. He thought everything he was, was real. He was yeah. Rodney. And it was Joe Ansis and Estelle and everybody in Orion Pictures every, brought him that reality. Mm-hmm. And there was so, like something beautifully simple about that. Yeah. I mean, I really like, I like simple people. I like simple food. And, and, and he, and I remember he simply doesn't like me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which made it really great in the movie because I was able to be still. Right. Yeah. And, and I embodied that character, which was just, he, he would have respect for his elder, especially right. his father-in-law. Right. Now, now, I, th- and I think the general consensus, easy, easy money is a movie that has, that definitely has a following. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a movie I think that is fondly remembered now. It'll always be popular. Rodney will always be popular because he made a movie about golf. Mm-hmm. There'll always be golf. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's always going to marry, you know, their daughter off. And, you know, um, someone's always going to want to go back to school. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And someone's always going to want to coach a uh, girls' soccer team. <laughs> if you saw Ladybugs. Ladybugs, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, maybe not that one as much. But. Now, the, and the, the other movie that uh, of, of yours, one of the other movies of yours, that, that resonated with me as a kid that I saw in the theater, and I, I mentioned this to you uh, when we were emailing, was Nothing But Trouble. Yes. Which I saw as a, what, 12-year, it came out, what, 91, maybe, mm-hmm. 92? 92. Okay, so I was maybe 13 years old, and at that age... I remember being excited oh. for the original title of <laughs> Valkenvania or whatever. Like, Yeah, how did somehow, you hear about that? I don't know. It's one of those things, like, as a kid, I was I, just aware and, enough and, that I was like, this is going to be great. It's got everyone I like it. And, 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 no, exactly, and that movie... You know, Falcon Vane. Yeah. <laughs> but I, th- I think the key to that movie, because it, 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 it is not as loved as, as some others. No. You know, to, yeah. <laughs> but it's loved by a lot of people in, in uh, South Harlem. Uh, I think, really? I yes. think that it's because it hit me. I feel like it is a movie best appreciated by 13 year old boys. I feel like it has, <laughs> it's got every, it's, it's gross. It's got, yeah. it's just like, you know, greasy and goopy. And it has all these guys well, that, you know why too is because I think it's all, all of those levels are surprisingly. It's like, oh, it's like surprisingly gross. Yeah. Like surprisingly crude. Yeah. Like you think it's going to be a little bit more like depending, especially how they kind of like pushed it. At least I remember and, at one point, but it's going to be yeah. tamer. Then to and have then a penis for a nose. and that, of course the penis nose, but to, but, yeah. then, but to have all of these guys that were you know our guys mm-hmm. you know grow like to see all these guys in one movie like and as a thirteen year old you don't you don't care about the story you know you just want to see cool stuff and I feel like that movie delivered and your line which was quote it still gets quotes quoted around my you know within my family. Smells like Sao Paulo. Do you know that every line in that movie I made up? Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. Because Dan Aykroyd was so stoned <laughs> and so thought I was so funny and I would just, and I, and I am funny and I would say the most amazing things and he would laugh and then he would say, don't tell Chevy. <laughs> right. Don't tell Chevy. So I'd have to do it with the sound man and we'd have to organize it. And then I would say something and then Chevy would look at me like, what? What, Danny, Danny, why is he talking? Why is he talking? God bless Chevy. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, we love Chevy a lot. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that was um, quite a movie. That was the first time I ever smelt crack. <laughs> yeah, you wrote this in your – it's on your website. Could you, could you go is into that? Is it really on my website? Well, I think you have in your bio yep. when you're going through, you wrote – are you writing this in MS 
paint? How are you? Where you're like writing this stuff with like a paintbrush in an in interesting design to your website. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, looks great. And then at the same this is time, TaylorNegron.com. The um, it. Well, yes. it's my that's my handwriting. Oh, is it, it is? really? Yeah, I had my own alphabet made. <laughs> My own font. I'm a control freak. But yeah, you do mention it was the first time you you worked no, with Tupac. I smell crack because they were uh, the Digital Underground, yeah. right? And Tupac Shakur, and then they were trying to hustle me off the set. <laughs> and I don't like being hustled. Sure, you know I like to be for the second meal. That's when you get the lobster rolls. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, no, I think I'll stay here for dinner. I'm not going. I'll go in my room and watch the newlywed game, and then pow, bam. <laughs> They're all sucking on those pipes uh. <laughs> and cracked out of their minds. Tupac Shakur. Wow. <laughs> but what a nice guy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> he was a nice guy. Yeah. You know, I know Tupac Shakur. I met Tupac Shakur. I, I hung out with Notorious B.I.G. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, snubbed a Suge Knight. <laughs> and got away and lived to yeah, talk about lived it. to tell. That's the one. Yeah, well, watch. Yeah, like I'm shot into the BBQ yeah. or whatever it's called. <laughs> the BBQ, you die. <laughs> but when you're making a movie like that. This was all a ruse yeah. from Suge Knight to take That's, you out. Yeah, exactly. This is what it is. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, run, Doris. You know that closet run. over there? <laughs> Suge has, yeah, direct access like to my apartment. Two white Jewish boys in Brooklyn <laughs> and Suge Knight finally took me down. Exactly. He's hiding in the walking yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although only one of us is Jewish. Yeah. yeah. Can, can you guess which one of us is Jewish? You're the Jew. I'm the Jew. Yeah, you look like Rodney Dangerfield. No, oh, I'll, 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 I'll like, take that. I look like a Jew. You look like Corky. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> no, he's very handsome for a four foot two man. That's good to know. He's a big, crazy curl. I was going to say, you got big shoes to fill, but in Corky's case, <laughs> I don't. Oh. So when you're making a movie like Nothing But Trouble, do you... Do you know when you're making it that things are are going Wrong, off the rails? <laughs> and what do you think about it afterwards? Does you, you know, carry I that? think that as I as I um, am old now, I think about um, what those movies were because I did a lot of them in Technicolor, which is really exciting to think that I was in film and not digital. Yeah, movies. Mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> I want to see you know those reds that bleed. Yes. And the way the stacked up color and three strip technicolor is, I was in that. And there was a, you know, it, it took time to light. It wasn't like you were going to go in there, but I mean, you were, you're standing, you took a break. It would take hours to light. So you went into this kind of like a fever dream. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's what that movie was. I would drive there and then Demi, I had just done a movie with Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. And, um, and so I was in that family of Demi and, um, and Whoopi. And we were all kind of going up the ladder. I mean, we, it was a, a very exciting time. And, um, but you wonder, did it really happen? Right. <laughs> so when I think about the movie, I think, did that really, really happen? Because I remember that Chevy and Demi, isn't that a hard sentence? Yeah, really. Yeah, Demi. Yeah. Demi. Hated each other, so they were always fighting like big time. So I felt like I was in a custody battle. It was like the ice storm. <laughs> and and I remember, you know, g- going home thinking, you know, I I, I should take a, a a laxative or a sedative or something. <laughs> it's it's very. But did I know? Um, you know, when you're in a movie, you think nobody will ever see it, mm-hmm. but you will get nominated. <laughs> You're going to get the best supporting for that one? No, I'm going to get the best supporting actor for this. But nobody will see it. Right. You know, so you always, it's, it's really, really crazy about making these movies, but I'm very, very proud of them that they, 
still exist and that I, that Dan Aykroyd was able to let me say whatever I wanted. Yeah. And Which is it, great for us. It's cause. great for the, in the Pace household, smells like some Paulo is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> going, it's t- Isn't that the fun? Because you know what? I hear that uh, I read that when you Sao Paulo is so nasty that you can yeah. smell it ten miles yeah. away. <gasps> <gasps> Smells like Sao Paulo. <laughs> we got it. Podcast over. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great, great performance. Um, so I want to go back to what we were talking about earlier about mm-hmm. playing a lot of you know looking at your amazing filmography and seeing all of these roles, you know, doing like the the movie with Bruce Willis and playing the villain and then playing all of these like mailman or pizza guy and like delivery that you have like the, the, the delivery guy market kind of cornered. Well, I mean, I did then. I mean, at that point, I was like, uh, New York Times said I was uh, the first over, I was the first cinema Gen Xer. Oh, really? Which was kind of overqualified for this low-rated job. Uh, sure, right? yeah. That, yeah. You know, okay. that in fast times, I probably was like, you know, in my first year of junior college. Right. And, or I was just out there and I, and I shouldn't. Because I remember making that movie for my dear, dear best friend, Amy Heckerling, who mm-hmm. directed it, and walking down the hallway going, well, am I ever going to get out of high school? <laughs> <laughs> when will I get out of high school? Yeah. I just got out of here. <laughs> now Trapped. I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> but is it, is it just a, was there almost like a, a long-running joke thing about it, about taking, like, I'm just going to take this role because my friend is making this movie? Uh, well, Amy Herkeling and I, we, uh, and Stuart Kornfeld and Marty Brest, and we were in that movie as Amy's friends. Good luck. You always want to have a good luck totem in mm-hmm. the movie. Well, Martin Brest is in that. Is Marty? I think Marty's in it. The direct, yeah, uh, yeah. Going in style. Going is in style. Both my brother and my our favorite I know, movie. I know. <laughs> it's being remade. Did you? Do you know? I that? didn't know that. They're, yeah, remaking it with I think a cast of forty year olds. Sweet. So. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I don't know if Marty's in it. Stewart's in it. Who produced? Uh-huh. You know, runs Ben Stiller's company. Um, so you do it once again. I did it. Didn't think anybody would ever see it. Mm-hmm. That it was just a joke. That it was a mess, that it, nothing would ever happen, because I thought <laughs> right. Sean Penn should put on a shirt. Right. <laughs> put on a shirt, kid. <laughs> I did. I would go to Amy. I go, why is that guy have no shirt on? <laughs> well, he's a little cocky extra. And she goes, no, that's Spicoli. I go, please, put a shirt on him. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. Um, but uh, And then Steve Holland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Savage uh, Steve. Uh, put me in his movies as a delivery guy. So it was Amy and Steve. And I think... That that's all that it was, yeah. right? But the, I Are think you I, friends with Steve Holland, mm-hmm. so, yeah. The same with like like as with Amy, where yeah, I mean it's like yeah. you know we're all friends, and they all go come down and do this, right? And, you know, and and you do it because yeah. you you know you have to say yes, right? I mean, I mean, he had an amazing run. Too. Well, that's, like, a, that's I mean, a, those movies are like still like hold up. For that's me. another thing we wanted to ask. And I mean, I think when I think in my head, oh, you had the market cornered. It's because you played the delivery guy in all of these kind of iconic movies yeah. that are constantly referenced. Yeah. I so, think in a couple more I did it. I blocked it out. But then people try to <laughs> bring it up again. They want me to do it. I've been. I got paid ten thousand dollars in cash once to deliver a pizza to the uh, CEO of. Uh, Pizza Hut. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I, wa- I was standing in a hallway, waiting. They go, wait 10 minutes before you come in, holding a warm pizza, going, this is what happens to a whore. <laughs> <laughs> this is whore behavior. Holding something hot, waiting them, waiting to go into a hotel room right. to get cash. Here's your money. You're done. Get uh-huh. out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
That would be I'm great a, too if they gave it to you. I'm in a cash whore, in Papa. I'm a whore. Hollywood broke me. <laughs> Hollywood broke me. But you know what? This, this ten thousand watt is burning a hot <laughs> hole. Feels pretty good to be a whore too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What? But what about Savage Steve Allen? Like you said, like he made. Like three movies and that are. Where'd he go? Concl- I, I was. He does a TV. So well, I mean, does, you probably know him better than we. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I have. I, I sometimes on Facebook see him. I. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think that he just is doing the thing and raising his family. Maybe he was super rich. I don't know. Right. Yeah. But it's you know it's an ordeal to make a movie now. Right. It really, really is. My, I tip my hat to everybody in the academy and right. all the movies that are coming up because every movie, every aspect was hell to be paid. Yeah, I can't fathom him making those types of movies now. Like, I mean, there was a time like they're so odd. Like, and had such an interesting like. Tone, yeah, I mean, what do you like, think? To pull what's that gonna, off? What's going to? Where is that oddness going to come from? Right. Uh, yeah, I think you see it now more in television. Yeah, because there's so many more outlets and so many cable channels and the internet yeah. and 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 avenues for that type of humor. What do you yeah. watch on TV? Well, see, right now I watch a lot of dramas. I'm watching House of Cards. I'm watching True Detective on HBO. Broad City. Um, though. I only saw the first episode because I don't yeah. have TV. I only have the Roku. The second box. episode, I will say, feels like it's an odd in a Savage Steve Holland sort of way, which is this, nice. Like the second episode is really uh, kind of bro, for the listener. This is Alana oh. Glazer's uh, and Abby L- Jacobson yes. on Comedy Central. Friends of the show, uh, yes. but very interesting show. Uh, they're definitely like doing kind of yeah. some next level I, stuff. Which I, I is nice. think that uh, there's been a long period of dormancy, mm-hmm. and that things couldn't be funnier right. or more inventive. Or weirder than yeah. right now, right? And you have this kind of strong backup of YouTube, mm-hmm. where you can really watch anything, and you can watch culture, culturally important moments from the past, right? That are really solid, yeah, and and really inspirational, yeah. yeah. It is that's the plus of you because you used to have to go to the Pally Center for media, like <laughs> yes, you know, I know, like, I know, yeah, and go to the library, which my friend actually still does, but uh, for those certain things you can't find. But yeah, now you can. There's oh, a, a reservoir, yeah. There of, is a reservoir of uh, of an infinite yeah. the gong show movie for example i want to watch the gong show movie tonight well, i'll you, figure out a way to find have it a drug and alcohol <laughs> we're working on it it's a problem <laughs> so jeff and i we we really come from playing music we're we're we we played in bands uh for many years so we're big music guys what do you play i play guitar jeff plays bass yes. um i'm looking for a bass player right now oh but i bring that up because i know that uh your cousin was in Three Dog Night. Yes. So I was, I'm kind of curious, or we're curious just about like what your relationship, being so close, uh, you know, to a band that was that big at that point in time. Yeah. Like what, how, what was that, uh, like? That was, uh, a very, uh, that was another thing that was like a fever dream when I look back to think that it actually happened. Um, they were such a big act in 1969 with Easy to Be Hard and One. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember, uh, it, it playing in the house. And me kind of covering my face, thinking, uh, fame will do no good to this family. <laughs> I mean, I really took it very seriously. I used to cover my face when I would go to the bathroom at night. Because I just knew people were looking at me. And I, it was like this blast of fame. And I remember he came over once at, for the holiday. My mother put aluminum foil all over the windows. Because there were so people protect. looking in. Wow. You know, and I was thinking, why can't we just have chicken like regular people? <laughs> <laughs> Once he, they came over. Three Dog Night came. Uh, Chuck, Charlie, little Charlie came to my house. We lived up there in La Cañada, and um, he came in the middle of the night. I thought he was 
Charles Manson, um, <laughs> which was very big then. The Charles yeah. Manson, he was like Ichabod Crane, and you kind of wear, you know, you, you as a child. That's uh, my mom went out one night and she said, "I want you to close all these doors and windows. I don't want these hippies to come in here and degut you." Like that was an option, <laughs> right. right? That was an option. <laughs> yeah. So I was always it's either you don't get degutted or you get degutted. Yeah. That's I still go through life like that. I really yeah, do. Sure. That's why. Oh, come to the four stop in Greenpoint. I'm like I'm going to be degutted. I get this is the day. But but, but yeah, there's a fearlessness right. that, that you get when you when you make it through, and you kind of op- open the window and look out to see the murderer coming. Mm-hmm. And I uh, one night Christmas Eve, around Christmas. Open the door. He comes out of the van with the smoke and the hippies. And I don't like hippies. I don't like bandanas. I don't like beads. I don't like any of it. And there they come. And it ended up. It was uh, Mama Cass and oh, Jim Morrison and a bunch of freaks that were on acid. <laughs> right. That were you know go- gone up to the woods and to see the snow in Los Angeles, and then ended up at our house because it was on the way. Oh my. So you, I saw stuff that was extraordinary. I saw Jim Morrison jitterbugging with my grandmother on a, on on the table, <laughs> you know. And I saw the power of music. I, I I saw how extraordinary that is at a very early age. How an incredible voice can just bring everybody at Madison Square Garden together. Yeah. And I and that changed me. And then I also appreciated music. And I was very aware of who Snuff Garrett was. And then I he Sonny and Cher. I was too young for the Beatles, but I remember, you know, hearing music and hearing tones the way you guys hear whatever movies are. Right. Know, music was like that for me. Right. Yeah. D- Dinah Washington, Barbra Streisand, uh, Camelot, mm-hmm. Broadway shows. I just was, th- th- that's the fabric of my life. And I always felt I was in the club because of that. Right. And now I'm composing music and writing songs and performing songs. So it's like, I, I have authority. I know what I, I know what I like. And so, so what is it that you're working on right now involved with, with involving all the well, music? Well, uh, about six years ago, I started a show called The Unbearable Lightness of Being Taylor Negron, which was um, <laughs> these uh, stories that were loosely autobiographical memoirs of growing up in, in the 70s in Los Angeles with the shadow of the Manson family, with the uh, drugs and with the alcohol and with losing so many important people. As a very very young person, I had to see that mm-hmm. the Kennedys and all that. Um, so I put that all together, and then I hired uh, musicians to kind of score it mm-hmm. the way you would score a movie. Right. So I at one point I had Lily Hayden, the great violinist, who opened for George Clinton and Sting, mm-hmm. and some great guys from the L.A. Philharmonic. We did these beautiful, beautiful musical events, and then we went to the Edinburgh Theater Festival, and the show was a big hit there. And so I decided that I liked it, mm-hmm. and then I ended up getting this uh, kid called he- Logan Heftel, mm-hmm. and he scored the show for me and wrote songs for us. And we ran off Broadway, and we've been on the road now for a couple of years doing this show. Oh, nice. And then I now have, am writing songs right. and working with the compositions, and we're recording all the, the songs, and they're really Great. sweet. If you, ever want, if you want to play them, I can send you a little bit, and you can cut into it. <laughs> Oh, fantastic! Perfect. Yeah, we'll definitely, definitely. Uh, enhance the uh, the episode with yes. that. Um, another completely unrelated question, more about growing up, because I know you grew up both Puerto Rican and Jewish. Yeah. Uh, did you were you born mitzvahed? No, 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 because there was uh, all my cousins were, and I got to have the bar mitzvah fun, mm-hmm. but without any of the horror <laughs> <laughs> or the horror. Oh, the horror. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, no, I think that we were, ra- I was raised in one of those places where there was no kind of forced religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got to pick and choose. Uh, but I felt very strong. I loved my, the Jewish part of my family. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought they were always so smart and cunning. And in the end, they're all the ones that are like strange biomarine chemical doctors and <laughs> the, the district attorney of the Bronx and all of that. It's a, it's a unique mix. Um, yeah, it's a, cultures. It is, and it isn't. It's a very, very kind of twentieth-century island of Manhattan. Yes, yeah, sure. It, it it brought great tension. Okay, you know the marriage of my of those families. Oh yeah, yeah. because everybody despised one another. <laughs> a post West Side Story world. Post yeah, a, a West Side Story meets Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> So, Taylor, uh, a question that we've been asking uh-huh. all of our guests. What's the worst thing about you that you'd like to change? Professionally, personally? This is a very good question. Um, I think it would be that I, I, I wish I wasn't so happy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> because I get, I get complacent. Right. You know, I really, when I look back at my life and all the opportunities that I had, a lot of the times I, I just was very happy just, you know, being in the hotel room, uh, laughing. Right. Or, or, or screwing or, or, or eating or exercising. And, you know, I, I'm very aware of the bigger story other than, um, art. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I am a true artist, but I, I could watch. I mean, I'm the only one on the subway that doesn't bring anything. Right. I just am looking around at the yeah. window like I'm like a baby in a crib <laughs> all the time. Right. So I guess in a funny way, my, my greatest trait is my worst trait. Right. So I, I, I wish I was a little more antagonistic and a little more warlike. Yeah. Um, and I wish if I had a time machine, I'd go back and I would have been a little bit more pushy. But be, starting out as a child actor and being very young like I was, we were the kids are told not to ever make a problem and mm-hmm. not ask questions. That's a good answer. Yeah, it's a fantastic yeah. answer. Is there what do you what do you get recognized most for? You know, it depends on what neighborhood I'm in. Mm-hmm. On, on the if I'm in the black part of town, it's the, all those like nothing but trouble. Last Boy Scout with Damon mm-hmm. Wayne. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm if I see you know a, a bunch of uh, you know scary looking brothers coming at me, I'm like, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> this is going to be fine and, 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 and they just want to come over and say hello right uh and then i have a lot of because i was on the mary kate and ashley show mm-hmm. so i have now those kids who are 12 right the girls that are 12 and gay boys <laughs> who are now 24 uh <laughs> love me right but they're too cool to let me know <laughs> You know, a subtle way to like. Yeah, you know. they'll make a point to go. I know who you are. <laughs> I go good. Let's leave it like that. <laughs> and and are all of the? Is it all accepted with open arms in terms of like? Oh, I wish they. I wish I wasn't recognized for that, as opposed to this. Uh, you know what? You can't. You can't do that because it's so out of control. It's like sure. you know, mm-hmm. controlling your what, what images are on Google of you. It's yeah. gone. Right. It's completely over. Right. Of anybody, anybody's perception of me. I have to just look at it as a politician and go, yes, that, that was a while ago, but now we're here mm-hmm. and I'm going to, I'm going to be very fine about this. Uh, sometimes it used to really freak me out because it was always about like somebody asking me, let, let's talk about that day, November 1987. Right. 
You're like, no, not <laughs> yeah. that day, not that day, that punchline day, you know, right. or, 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 or whatever. Because when they say a movie, I have kind of like, I have Mary Lou Henner's disease, mm-hmm. which I remember every day. Oh. Yeah. That's so, some, I, I wonder if I'd like to have that because I'm fascinated by dates and times and, mm-hmm. and yeah, I have it. analytical placing of things where, yeah. Do, is it, is it a, both a blessing and a curse? Well, it's a curse in that nobody can lie to me. Yeah. Because if they lie, I go exactly, no, that's not true at all. <laughs> we were not in Los Angeles and it was not blue. Okay. So, so Mount St. Helens definitely erupted in 1986. I'm going to trust you on this. <laughs> not 1980 like I thought. Yeah. I think it was 98 because I remember it was after the color purple. Well, yeah. Which was 85, that, I, I think. Yeah. Right? It was around then because I remember I came home and I had a party at my house in Armistead Moppet and Whoopi Goldberg, who had just been nominated for the movie, had came to my house. And I was thinking, thank God I quit. thank god i quit because i know i had this super cool party with i think mick jagger was there and all these great people at my house and 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 that wouldn't have happened right had you stayed stayed there with you know with the puppet show (laughs) with the christians um so yeah i i i i think that uh no show is better than a bad show now normally at this point in the show we would ask taylor what we ask all of our guests what do you think of the word gig Unfortunately, we were so wrapped up in his presence, his tales, everything he just exuded, that for the first time ever, on Worst Gig Ever, we forgot to ask the guest what they think of the word gig. So, Taylor was gracious enough to email me his thoughts on the word gig, which I will share with you now. I like the term gig. It's a password that lets you know you're in. My job sucks. Responsibilities are boring, but a gig means you've got to go, quote, bust open some heads, end quote, with your saxophone or mouth. A gig means get out of my way. I got to be on time. All comedians want to be musicians, and the word gig is a shortcut that lets us believe that we are indeed jazz superstars without the notable nicknames. I do have a nickname. It's Cornbread, which I got on a gig. Thanks, Taylor. And now back to the conclusion of this episode. Yeah, I, you just brought it all full circle for us. Yeah, which was, which is, I guess, part of why you're a professional and why you've been absolutely yeah. professional. Yeah, that's, because you're, if it's not going to happen, I remember once eating uh, uh, Chinese beans at Chinatown <laughs> in uh, San Francisco, <laughs> and and uh, and the minute I walked down, right, they said, "Taylor, you have two minutes," and I walked up the stairs, and I realized that I was going to hurl. Uh-huh. I had instantaneous toxic poisoning in my stomach. And I remember breathing and throwing up <laughs> in the curtain. And But if I would have not and said, I'll just vomit after the show, I would have thrown up on the audience. <laughs> right. In, in a Delta Burke style. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I meant to say Della Reese. <laughs> they both work wonderfully. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The two of you are looking at me like the RCA dog. <laughs> Listen, Taylor, this is uh, phenomenal. Just Thank you so much yeah. for having so- me. Story after story. Uh, we, we learned a lot. I feel very happy. I got to say Smells Like Sao Paulo to you. Um, your family you, will be very you, excited. You, you, me and my brother. Your brother, uh, yes. what, what is your brother's name? Jonathan Pace. Jonathan Smells Like Sao Paulo. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, 
all he just have to get him gifts <laughs> for the rest of his life. That's it. That's You're it. welcome. <laughs> all we want to tell you, look, I know you you trekked long and far. You were <laughs> walking underneath the BQE for some reason um, <laughs> the entire way here. We just want you to get home safe. Oh, I will. And um, thank you for appreciating um, what I do and what we did. And I hope anybody's listening to this and was a part of it knows that the appreciation goes to them as well. Worst gig ever. 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 Ever.